0: and i'm coding all night project won't compile it'll be all right computer science for life and that's my direction instead of be balls my is throw exceptions
1: Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Joining us on the program tonight are Damien, a British grinder, also partner with DangerousThings.com, Cooper, Texan sysadmin that's new to biohacking scene, and Cursor, a British graduate student specializing in RF technology. I'm gonna turn it over to Cursor.
0: So up first, we want to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things. He delivers custom gadgetry to discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. And if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach us out on Twitter at hashtag dangerous minds podcast or at DangerousMinds.io. We'll be glad to talk to you about it.
2: Okay, this week's guest is Emil Gustafa, the CEO of Dangerous Things. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Emil. Uh, could you start by introducing yourself and telling us uh, what you think about biohacking and grinding means uh, to you and your own grinds
3: sure Um, so yeah I um Got involved in biohacking kind of uh, early on, 2005. Uh, I didn't know it was called biohacking at the time, and uh, I think it wasn't really a, a thing at that point. It was just uh, s- you know some some crazy idea. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just decided you know I wanted to implant a, an RF transponder in my hand so I could get through my door easier, and uh, you know didn't really think much about it at the time. But in the in the years since. You know, the maker movement has kind of really started to explode and and right alongside it, uh, biohacking, both on the biological side uh, and also on the technical uh, kind of uh, biometrics or, um, you know, cyborg-y kind of, you know, grinding community has kind of risen up from that as well. So. Uh, you know, I, I decided a couple of years ago, there was enough, uh, going on, but it wasn't really coordinated. Well, information was hard to get and, uh, it would be a, a good idea to build a business model around it so that we could make sure that people were getting, you know, safe stuff and then going to, you know, uh, professionals to be able to get it installed safely and, and kind of increase the knowledge and awareness about how to do this, you know, how to do it properly. Um, what kind of stuff you need to do it? So that's how, that's how dangerous things was kind of born from that. And, um, and now, I mean, today there's uh, several biohacking companies that are into implantable devices. They're they're researching and and developing these things. We're developing new new products as well. So it's a pretty amazing thing happening in this kind of uh, underground community now, kind of reaching the surface and and uh, taking our, our our first few gasps of of air in the in the public light. So it's uh, it's pretty good.
0: Personally, I'd just like to also uh, extend my personal thanks to uh, yourself, Emil, because uh, as as you guys know, I'm doing a masters in in RFID, and I'd say it would not be possible uh, to extend that to you in, in this occasion. Um, oh, yeah. From there, also, uh, you, you did mention about you, you wanted to go, the whole thing you got into was to open some doors. So, sort of, um, is, that, is that what got you into biohacking? And also, what implants do you currently have that enables you to do that, or are or other things as well?
3: Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, originally that was that was the the goal, and uh, and that goal was rapidly achieved. So from from idea to realization was like you know probably thirty days to get everything sorted and get a door working, and uh, just that alone was you know very uh, liberating because I didn't need to carry my keys around anymore. I didn't have to worry about them have to manage them in a day and that was um, that was really what I was happy with for many many years uh, but like I said as kind of the maker revolution started and people really started thinking about you know biohacking as a form of, kind of transhumanism or a form of like improving ourselves beyond simply you know simple tool use where you might pick up a smartphone or a stick or a rock you know um, the idea that we can actually upgrade ourselves and uh, in this way of uh, this method of, of making that a permanent transparent Upgrade um, is uh, is very very intriguing. So the philosophy behind transhumanism, which has been around a long time, I just wasn't aware of it. Uh, but the philosophy of ph- uh, transhumanism and uh, and the uh, the methodology of biohacking were something that I started diving into as as kind of this nascent biohacking community was was growing and uh, that caught the attention of old school transhumanists. And and uh, so yeah, just very very uh, interested in, in in pursuing this and <coughs> that started. The process of developing new things. So I have transponders from 2005 in my hands. And uh, but I also have some prototype devices, so n- new things, new technologies that are being developed, including a, a um, cryptographic platform called Yuki, which is all about solving a, a real problem in a digital identity management, security, and privacy.
0: So, so you've just 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 in that just quickly, I just want to pick up the fact that you've used several terms. So you've used uh, things like uh, uh, grinding, grinding we use a lot. Uh, we use transhumanism just there to explain to us. Um, one of the terms that gets pushed around quite a lot is, is biological hacking Um, I think do do you think there's some sort of like stigma attached to the hacking sense of that and um, also how do we overcome the sort of uh, maybe maybe the first initial thought that hacking is sort of a bad bad term
3: right So the the thing about hacking is uh, is essentially you know the people the pu- general public's you know interaction with the word hacking is usually from you know media and it's usually a negative connotation meaning somebody hacked their way into something or caused some kind of problem or was committing some kind of crime or something and. That's really not what hacking means. Hacking is a neutral term. It just means an unconventional approach to solving traditional problems or to solving problems in general. So a conventional approach to a problem might be go down, you know, path to the left, which is blah, 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 blah. Uh, A hacker's approach is going to be maybe I can find a shortcut, some other way that's unconventional, it's innovative, and it's Faster and usually more efficient um, to to solve a problem or get some information or do something, right? So when you apply it to crime, sure, that's like a bad thing. But when you apply it to biology or you apply it to um, you know the human drive to to kind of fundamentally explore the universe or you know whatever you want to apply it to, it's unconventional and it's um, essentially it's you know it's a methodology that gets results typically faster and more efficiently than conventional means. So in that respect. I think biohacking is... Is a great idea, and it and it to me it follows down three or four different kind of um, shoots. So biohacking is an umbrella term that uh, that involves everything from you know just your simple life hacks, which is like you know meditating or special diet or trying some unconventional approaches to improving performance, right? Um, then you've got like RNA and DNA hacking, where you're like, okay, the normal conventional approach is I'm going to breed these animals, um, you know, to get some traits that I want out of them, or breed these plants, or do you know, kind of the traditional artificial selection process, but the DNA and RNA hacking is, Hey, I want to make a glowing plant. So I'm going to, I'm going to take, borrow some code, some DNA or RNA code from this thing over here and put it in this plant. And so it's an unconventional approach. Right. Um, and, uh, that that follows through with like everything from 3d printing tissues and uh, organs uh, maybe one day or bones you know to to what we're doing which is direct augmentation through implantation so um that's unconventional right the convention is that you're going to um you know need some kind of medical device to recover from an injury or disease or something like that to restore function to quote normal but um, you know, biohacking says, why, why not go the unconventional route and go beyond that? Why don't we augment? Why don't we go further? And, um, so, you know, putting in an elective, uh, device, you know, elective surgery to augment your capabilities as a human being, very unconventional. So it falls under that biohacking kind of concept.
1: Very, very well spoken. Um, now, um, as being amal of dangerous things, what are some of your biggest challenges that you face in this role? I think
3: probably being unconventional (laughs) is a challenge because when you're talking about like say uh, I want to make a, a a device for implantation and I need to I need to order some. Some components, and those components might be silicon dyes like chips, right, or something like that. Well, the normal convention is you make a million, you know, ID cards or something, and so you can buy a wafer from from the manufacturer that has a hundred thousand of these chips on it, and it costs you one hundred and twenty thousand or whatever it costs, and you do this thing, right? That's a normal conventional way of buying chips, putting them into products, blah. Where we're talking about a very niche market, so I might need to make a batch of maybe a thousand. You know, and there every at every aspect of manufacture, you need to go unconventional. You need to, you know, find a way to get the chips. You need to find a way to, you'll know, get them cut and get them onto the into the product that you that you're making. You need like everything needs a hack at every level, and so um, it it gets very difficult. And then on top of that, you have uh, manufacturers that are. You know suppliers or vendors and and you might have some people at the lower levels of the company who are very interested in working with you and very interested in what you're doing biohacking and making implants very cool you know but then you know that deal will will you work on something with with one of these vendors for sometimes over a year and um you know then all of a sudden upper echelon gets wind of what's going on and they they nix it right away it just like falls apart within a with a simple email and uh i had that happen with a big chip manufacturer i flew over to the EU, met with them, uh, did, you know, been working with them back and forth, Skyping emails, contracts, blah, 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 everything. And then suddenly, boom, like one email just shows up one day and says, uh, we're no longer working with you. Please destroy all product, all uh, all the information, proprietary information. You're under a DA. Bye. <laughs> so this is uh, this is you know these are the challenges, and it happens so often that I'm just like not surprised by it anymore. But uh, but it, you know regardless that, that there's enough interest in what's happening that usually there's a way, there's another way around to to be able to get what I need to get done. But it's a very uh, arduous. Uh, process so that's a challenge.
1: I think Damien
2: had a question for you next. Have you um, ever had implants before and removed them? Um, if so, why did you take them take them out? Oh,
3: um, yes. So, it, like in 2005, I put a low frequency transponder in my left hand. That's been there 11 years. It's my. I'll probably never take it out. It's kind of my my uh, my go to. When it's like people are like, well, how long do these last? Like I can just point it out and be like, that's been there 11 years, or you know, 20 years maybe down the line, or whatever. So. Uh, but on my right hand, I like a couple months later in 2005, I put a Philips high tag, um, 2048S tag in my right hand. And um, that was interesting. It had some security features, a 48-bit challenge response, which is, you know, 48 bits. But um, <clears throat> it was interesting, but it was never... Really utilized because the reader hardware was so difficult and expensive to get a hold of, and it just was not user friendly to build solutions around. So, um, several years later, when we were doing the prototyping for the XNT, um, the Philips Hightag came out, and the prototype for the XNT went in. And the original XNT prototype had an NTag 203, so it was much, much smaller capacity. Um, so then tag two hundred three went in, and then uh, and then we did our Indiegogo campaign, which raised you know more money than I thought it would. It raised four times the goal, which really surprised me. Uh, it really opened my eyes that yes, biohacking is kind of coming to the point where there's there is a significant interest, and it's not just kind of like a bunch of crazy people. So um, we did that, and then um, then immediately the two hundred three came out, and then the production version of uh, the X went in. So my right hands had. Three different tags in it, and um, and two remove, and then finally I'm sitting here with my my XNT. So, so you um, said that that started
2: with the 203. How comes
3: you changed it to
2: the 216? Was stretch there goal, a-
3: my friend. Stretch goals. So we had uh, we had raised enough money um, that uh, I needed to do a stretch goal, and the most obvious um, goal was. Um, upgrading the chip so the manufacturer again like hacking my way through manufacturers chip suppliers all that um, had the 203s and they didn't have the 216s so I, I had to raise more money, obviously, to be able to get a batch of those in. And um, so I made the request and, and uh, got confirmation we could do that and then put a stretch goal on the Indiegogo campaign, and now the XNT is based on the 216.
0: So um, just there, you've talked about some stuff that you've had to uh, take out, obviously, in your own R&D projects. Especially for, for those that are just getting started, um, they might be worried about the safety aspects of some of the project uh, products that you have, especially putting something under the skin is probably quite a daunting thing for someone that's just getting started. Um, just, just like to know sort of like how, how do you ensure yourself kind of the safety of the products that, that you sell and, and you give to other people?
3: Sure, sure. So <clears throat> the, um, the safety aspect is essentially what it comes down to is the decades uh, of testing that's already been done on animals by way of implanting them into pets for, for years and years and years. Um, we are borrowing heavily from that industry. So we use the same materials. And we use the same materials as was the FDA-approved version of the VeraChip implant that was here in the U.S. Um, so we're not we're not innovating the materials. Uh, we're just changing the you know, the chip type, the antenna structure, and essentially um, putting in ades- additional checks during manufacture to ensure safety, and then post-manufacture testing. So t- that includes cytotoxicity testing. includes some. Um, uh, tissue, tissue, uh, um, contact testing. I forget what it's called, but, um, and then finally the, the final one is that I get, I get typically on pretty much any new product, it goes in me first. So I put it in, I wait a few, I wait a while, check it out. If it's good, then, uh, and it passed all the other checks then uh, then we'll go ahead and release it. Cool. That sounds great.
0: And also, um, while we're on the topic of sort of like responsibilities from, from your end and stuff, um, if for those of you that don't know, there's a, there's a great uh, Facebook group, uh, RFID Implantees, uh, where you can come and just chat about uh, different uh, implants that you've got with uh, dangerous things, et cetera, anything that you're worried about. You can express concern there. There's always people to help you out. Uh, one of the things we see there, because obviously I've, I've been a member of the page for a while now, um, is that occasionally you get a person that may sort of not realize the, um, the sort of the uh, limitations of the technology of RFID, so you have the whole – uh, am I being tracked? And also some people that are generally convinced that uh, maybe they've, they've been implanted uh, against their will. Um, mm-hmm. what, and uh, from, from there, there's a lot of concern from, from those types of people. And I, again, I guess uh, we, something happened this week and it was sort of a, sort of a confused response um, to, to how we deal with those sort of people, whether we have a responsibility to help them or how far a responsibility goes. What would you say from your point? And also, do you have an experience uh, with people contacting you in that way as well?
3: Yeah, so it's kind of a two, two-part question. So I'll, I'll do the deal. The first part, and then we'll move into that. So, first part is just people's concerns about the technology, right? So. Um, it's understandable. You know, people that have no idea about this stuff, the only exposure they get to the idea of an implant chip or something like that is from movies. And every single movie is going to tell you it's a tracking device. We can shoot a missile at you. We can find you underground, on a mountain, wherever. And it just doesn't work that way. Like, it just – it's not a, it's not how this tech, tech works. And, it, and you know, people say, well, maybe not today, but tomorrow. I'm like, well, sure, but that's a, that would be a completely different device, right? Sure, somebody might make something tomorrow, but it doesn't – that this thing is going to suddenly become that in your body. It just doesn't make any sense. So, um, you know, and you could try to go into the technical details about it, but it's like trying to explain, you know, how a you know, modern car transmission works to somebody who doesn't, is not interested, right? It's just, it's pointless. So the bottom line is, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, it's not even possible. You, it has extremely short range, which is why it's in the hand. You know, you have to place your hand up to a reader. It's not like uh, it could just read it anywhere in your body. So, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different discussion of somebody wants to get into the, the hows and whys of it, but, um, but anyway, it's, I've said, I've explained it so many times to people, that it's just, it's, um, it's becoming mush in my brain. But um, you know, addressing the addressing the other side of things, the other the other aspect, whereas you know, people um, people think that they have some kind of chip or some kind of implant that's tracking them around. Um, that's actually really an, an unfortunate um, side effect of kind of the public publicity that uh, being kind of an RFID implant guy has 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 got me. So uh, for the last decade, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting emails and sometimes phone calls from people that are you know severely disturbed that uh, and they really believe that that uh, there's some kind of chip in them and it ranges all over the scale from somebody who you know is just starting to have symptoms of maybe mild schizophrenia there's they're hearing some voices they're not really sure what they're seeing is real or not and somehow they get onto this idea that there's a chip and that's causing all these problems uh I, i'm really you know my, my opinion is that as a community, um, if you don't want to engage with these people, that's totally up to you. But I don't think, you know, ridicule or anything is going to really help. It's, it's, it's not the same as ridiculing somebody because they think the chip is like uh, from the devil right like that's a whole different thing that's a sane person who believes in fairy tales and thinks that you're going to hell because you know that's that's a whole different thing you can criticize all those people all you want but when it comes to somebody with an actual mental condition it's it's not cool like and uh you know when we see it on the forum i try to shut it down um and my personal approach is i i, I try I, tr- I have a minimum three email engagement um or sorry maximum three three email engagements so They'll contact me. I'll give them a spiel. I'll say, no, it, this is not the case. We've had several other people contact us. Uh, but this is this is what it is. You are, uh, you know, having symptoms of a mental uh, problem, and it's you know it could be any number of things. But you need to talk to a mental health specialist. These chips don't work that way. It's not possible. And again, I don't get into technology because they just they're not going to hear it, right? Um, but I say, look, you can you can do a couple things. You can get a friggin' X-ray. Let's look at my X-ray. You could see them very clear. But you know, get an X-ray, and <clears throat> if you. It, if you don't, if you still don't want to do that or whatever, just think of one thing. Think of the fact that like, who are you to, to be the you know subject or victim of this extremely high tech, w- well-guarded classified program uh, of you know, using technology that nobody's ever really seen before? Like, would that make sense at all? No, it wouldn't. You're experiencing these things because you have a chemical imbalance or some problem with your brain. You need to get help. And, uh, and I'll, I'll send that. I'll come back. And usually it's, you know, they, ah you know, whatever it is they say and then I'll I'll say no you know this is the deal sorry that you're experiencing this but go you need to go get help it's not a chip i, I know chips i know the technology it's not and goodbye right and uh, sometimes they'll come back with some more stuff and i'll just ignore it but uh, there's been a couple cases where people have actually gone Gotten help and they come back and thank me. Most of the time, though, they just disappear. Sometimes they'll come back a year later or something in worse condition. Oftentimes, um, you know, extreme paranoia set in. The doctors are in on it. You know, all this kind of stuff, and it's um, it's sad. It's it's not a uh, it's not a cool thing. So you know, again, when when if people don't want to take on that responsibility, that's totally fine. I get that, um, but just don't like take it upon yourself to to start ridiculing these people because they they are sick and they do need help so
2: Emil you were uh, just saying about how you've been contacted by people that have been misled and feel that they have chips put in their hand in like i'm going to say unconventional ways or not put there legally in any way but there's also the religious aspect to this there's uh, quite a few people that refer to testaments and their their religious documents and their books and say that this is part of the devil's work do you get many people uh, questioning you on this
3: oh yeah um actually i want to say a couple more things about the uh, the people who are just like they have a mental condition right so the the thing that really really upsets me about the whole situation on that side of things is is all of the websites that that continue to prop up this notion that um that they have some kind of chip in their head or their brains or they anywhere in their body and and then the uh leeches and this real scum of the earth that actually supply quote psychic healing or psychic chip removal for a fee so they're like charging these people to you know basically just scam them it's like send me a couple hundred bucks and i'll like meditate and remove your chip that way or some kind of craziness i mean those are the people that need to die i'm sorry but somebody needs to track them down and and murder them because they are they are taking advantage of people that are extremely mentally ill they're doing it i mean it's it's the worst kind of people on the face of the planet and that's all i'm going to say about that but uh when you when you talk about like religious people who, who think we're doing evil or something like that um you know the biggest one that that comes out of the woodwork is christianity because in the Bible, there's um, uh, there's mention in the Book of Revelation that there's going to be a mark, a mark of the beast. You know, the mark of the beast is on the forehead of the right hand, and everybody has to get one if you're going to conduct you know any kind of commerce or basically live in society, modern society. And so um, the beast is going to make them get this mark, and so it's it's not really specific about what the mark is, and is and over the translations and all of the editing that the Bible's gone through, it's is is it on or in the hand? You know, it's not really very clear. So. So everything from like uh, library cards to social security numbers to telephone numbers uh, have been uh, credit cards have been all like it's a it's a mark of some kind because you hold it in your right hand and it's like what it's just crazy so. Um, you know tattoos have gone through this um, at, but but because we're quite literally putting a chip in the hand um, it, it just like clicks for a lot of people and they're like that's that's it this really old dusty book told me about it and it says in the book that it's a chip I mean it, I mean I've had people actually tell me in the Bible it says you will be chipped and I'm like where it doesn't say that anywhere but my my classic standard response you know I used to go into ph- all the philosophy and the and the concept behind it and like argue again I'm like it doesn't mean the literal mark I mean you you're focusing on the wrong thing it's a it's a warning about subjugation of a oppressive system and like look beyond look at the big picture here it's not like you're looking for the little tiny dust particle and when the mountains in front of you like it doesn't make sense but i've stopped that i've stopped all of that argument and all i do is i look at them and i go hey if you're that literal if you're reading the bible that literally put the devil chip in your left hand and you'll be all good because apparently god didn't think that far ahead or the devil or whoever right so you know my first chip was in my left hand and uh and my my mother who is religious you know she she wasn't happy about it but i said it's okay okay mom it's in the left hand <laughs> so she was like oh okay and then like a couple months later I got one in the right hand and she's like oh god <laughs>
2: it's all over <laughs> but you know
3: she's, she's come to realize that i'm not the devil um you know all of that but uh, i mean it's just you know religion has served a very important purpose throughout history you know it's gotten us through it's gotten us be, to move beyond the you know strongest and the fastest and the fittest survival of the fittest it's got us to a more philosophical place um you know but at the same time overdoing the religion is always a downfall of society i mean particularly with science and and it's i have no idea why this is i think it's because religion's function was to find answers to questions they didn't know how to answer right and science is doing that Science. Is answering questions as we get better at doing science and our our methods and our technology improves and we can answer more questions it challenges religion because religion was the place to go for answers and so if you look back in history there's great scientific um you know societies that fell to ruin um because religion came in and said what you're doing is is the devil's work and this society literally implodes and so i mean you can see uh, the, probably the best example of this is the Middle East. Uh, the Middle East, you know, a- Arabia was like the center of science and knowledge for for hundreds of years. And then suddenly, and, and mathematics, actually, and astron- astronomy, not astrology, astronomy, um, and all these things. And then like a dude shows up and I forget what his name is. It's all something, but um, he just literally shows up and he's like, he's a very uh, wi- widely regarded prophet of, uh, I think Muhammad, but maybe not. Um, and he, and he just says, look, numbers are from the devil. You shouldn't be playing with them. And like, I'm simplifying, but, but look at the Middle East now. It literally, that began the beginning of the end. Mathematics was outlawed. Science was like, everybody was like, oh crap, this is, this is going downhill fast. They all left. And the place is now just a shithole. I'm sorry, but it's like, it's never going to recover as long as, as long as that's like, the main tenant of what people are doing is like this is the the religious cradle of the of the universe it's never going to recover and uh and i really am scared for for the u.s because we're in this weird place of like the last 20 years it's just been this resurgence of like creationism and like trying to like override or compete with science for answers and i'm like you you can't do that it's religion is philosophy it's not science it's not it's not a place for answers we know that now we know how to conduct the scientific method and so um you know let's do that. Let's keep doing that. But for whatever reason, political influence and whatnot, it, 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 the U.S. has become a, the, the cult of ignorance is real. Uh, As Asimov noticed that, or, or no, sorry, Arthur C. Clarke um, recognized that. And, and um, you know, it, it, and I think it's highly—it's tied very closely to um, religion getting out of its out of its chute. It's going—it's expanding kind of like a cancer into other things, politics, trying to solve, you know, give answers to, to modern problems and questions this is not the place for religion and it, it just wreaks havoc. And so, you know, when we're talking about biohacking, which is a very scientific endeavor, um, or try, we at least try to make it that right. Um, it, it's not a place for this. It's not a place for, for religious debate and, and it just creeps its head in everywhere. So uh, I know that was a really roundabout kind of a rant about, about religion. And I don't mean to rag on, on anybody who, who follows the tenets of religion. Cause I think the idea of, you know the, the the lessons of the bible you know excluding the stoning and the all of the other weird things that, <laughs> that we're talking about but just the, the feel good stuff the the red text you know the the jesus jesusy stuff that's good stuff right and it's not and there's there is some good stuff in the quran i'm sure um you know buddhist whatever whatever you want to believe it's the golden rule like just follow that you'll be good be, be don't be a dick right like do the google thing don't be evil and you'll be good but uh you know, beyond that, let's not, let's not try to solve problems. Like, let's 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 go to science for that.
1: Okay, you heard it here, kids. Um, you know, if you didn't listen to anything here, listen to the words he just said. Don't be a dick. <laughs> right. And on that note, um, leads into my next question for you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start up. Uh, you know, trashing uh, those that are misled even though I myself am a person of faith and have been educated in that area, that'd be a whole nother podcast that, you know, if you ever want to come back and do that, you know, with me, I'd love to go into it in depth. But right now I really want to know more about in your own grind with dangerous things, you know, this past decade of grinding, what has been your single best moment of achievement, like your aha moment, light bulb, like that that's truly awesome or also you know it could lead into you know furthering that question by saying have there been multiple times where you know you're just going oh that's that's just too awesome yes yeah, so there's two that come to mind um
3: the first one was um, with the an experience i had with the magnet implant and so uh, for people who don't know there's um Essentially we have you know computer chips we can implant in the hands but also um, a magnet is another kind of like staple of the grinder/ bionic biohacker. Um, the the idea is simple you take a very small biocoded safe I, the idea is that it's safe uh, magnet and you implant it in usually a fingertip but it could be anywhere where there's very dense cluster of tactile nerves and the reason for that is that when you have the magnet there and everything heals up when you encounter a magnetic field that induces the magnet to move a little bit and if it's in a very dense nerve cluster area those nerves can pick up that very tiny movement very easily and so you get this sensation it's almost like a buzzing sensation and the stronger the field the stronger the buzzing and you know people have claimed to be able to feel like wiring in the walls things like that so um you know we we worked with another team to make uh, our own line of magnets and and uh, i put one in my little pinky finger in my left hand and uh, it was there for a few weeks and i was playing around with it you know turn the microwave on and the giant magnetron in there was making my finger buzz and i was like "Ooh, that's cool and kind of exploring the field you know reaching my hand out kind of feeling the shape of the field um it was really cool but um you know i would encounter certain things here and there that surprised me like uh, i did a um i have a little heat sealer for for bagging and i I put the heat sealer down and got a really big buzz on my finger. I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that. That's, that's odd, but cool. Um, and so you know, a few weeks have gone by, and there's, there's, this, there's this thing that happens. And this is why the magnet implant is cool. And people call it a, a sixth sense that you get when you, when you put this in. Now, you have five senses. You can't really introduce a sixth sense because your brain doesn't have wiring for a sixth sense. So we usually hijack another sense. We, we, you know, have our phones that ring that tell us things are going on that's hijacking our hearing. We have, you know, Google Glass and HoloLens and things that we're overlaying virtual reality or augmented reality. They're hijacking our visual sense to put more information into our brain than we normally get. And so the magnet does that with our tactile sense. We hijack a little bit of it to put different information in. We put information about magnetic field strengths into our brain through that tactile sense. Now... Some people are just like, okay, that's big deal, right? It's just like hearing a, an alarm go off or whatever, but it it goes beyond that. It, 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 there's a you know the brain plasticity concept, the idea that your neurons are always in motion and you know and they're they're in flux because you're learning and the brain's you know shape is changing and the brain is very adaptable. It's plastic, it's malleable, and uh, so brain plasticity is the idea that you can essentially make the brain adapt to do almost anything uh, if you train it, and so. The the thing that really kind of hit home for me about the magnet was I was walking around with it. I'd already done all the things. I played with all the things. And um, and now I just had this magnet, and I, you know, occasionally would use it. So I was walking into the library, and it, it had been many months until, <laughs> since I'd visited the library last. And so I was walking through the through the front gate, and, you know, they had those... 1970s giant you know gate things you walk through uh to make sure you're not stealing books well those are old technology the the most popular type of that technology is what's called a bit tag it's a it's a little tiny magnetic resonant strip that goes into the book and um the the way it works is just if it's a huge electromagnet and so when i walked through it buzzed my finger and um the reaction that I had was not to look at my finger, which normally you would do if you just felt buzzing on your finger. Uh, it wasn't that I just, you know, thought about, "Oh, hey, my finger's buzzing. That's weird." I, I what I and what happened was it was so strong and so immediate that I I stopped. I physically stopped, and I just like looked around. And was realizing immediately that there 's the field here there 's a really strong field, so i 'm like I want to know what 's going on. I start looking you know and I, I realize oh it 's the gate it 's the, it's the thing and then I kind of played with it. But the thing that struck me was that when I was walking through that gate, I, I, my reaction was to stop it wasn't to, it, it wasn 't to just like kind of look look at my finger or anything. The, the reaction of like physically stopping means that my brain had already in the course of two to three weeks plasticity had kicked in to the point where my brain knew that, you know, that buzzing sensation from that specific point in my finger means something else about the world around me. than the buzzing that I might feel on a different finger, right? If my index finger had buzzed, I would probably just kept walking and then looked at my finger, like what's going on. Right. But the react, the reaction, the, f- the fact that I didn't have to think about it, I didn't have to go, Oh, that buzzing means that there's an electromagnetic field and then I should probably look around for that. It was a reaction. It was immediate. And so the brain had already rewired to the point where it was realizing and understood immediately that there's something going on in this environment that is electromagnetic. And, uh, and so that, you know, that just like blew me away that, that the brain could actually adapt that quickly and completely to, to, uh, you know, actually understand, That without me actually having to worry about training it, I I wasn't doing any training, you know, I just used it, but but it understood that there's some major thing going on here. You should probably stop and like evaluate your situation, make sure you're safe, right? Like there's something about this area that's that's different, and so um, that just blew me away. That that's that's to me that's like the quintessential like biohacking experience. It's it's a it was a definite upgrade to my ability to you know, experience the universe, know more about my surroundings and, and interact with it in a way. So that that's my number one story. And I, I just love that. And I love that whole, that whole aspect of it is just amazing to me. So, the number two story is uh, essentially uh, I was sitting in, in a McDonald's in Amsterdam and I w and I had a bunch of downtime and uh, I was sitting there and I was thinking, man, like, Dangerous Things is just kind of getting, it's getting going and it's, it's kind of popular, but I, I need to, I need to like figure out if I'm going to do this for a full-time job and I need to, you know, what am I doing, right? <laughs> like, what, what is this? And, uh, you know, cause people are interested in implants and they want to open their doors and start their cars. That's cool. But for a company, that's cool, but it's, but it's also not a problem, right? It's not a real serious problem. It's a, it's kind of a nice to have. It's a little luxury perk for a biohacker to be able to do that. What is a what is a real problem um, that I need to solve? Right, like how can we solve a real problem? What what are the problems that exist out there? And uh, I'm like on on a French fry, and I was thinking about um, the real the first reason that I put a, a tag in, and and uh, so, you know back in 2005, a reason I arrived at an RFID implant was I was thinking about keys and how every key on your keychain and coincidentally every card in your wallet. They're all identifiers. They're all tokens to your identity, right? So to that door, this identifier authorizes you to do something, or this card authorizes you to drive, or this card authorizes you to make a payment from this account or whatever. So it just um, you know, got me thinking about identity in general, and it hit me I'm like, well, identity is a huge problem on online. Digital identity and digital identity management is a huge, huge problem. Um, you know, people are... Look, they're exploring, you know, expanding their lives online and um, and creating accounts and all of these things. And you know, you hear about hacks every day from from different uh, companies, Dropbox, the most recent. And uh, the the problem is that your your online life, your digital identity, is so valuable, so much more valuable actually and important than your biological identity in many respects. Um, that uh, the, I, the 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 audacity to think that. These identity, uh, you know, profiles that are that that cumulatively, you know, altogether make up your digital identity online, are just, you know, protected by these flimsy, you know, typed ana- analog passwords and things. It's just ridiculous, right? And it will, and it's just, it's not going to change until we really are able to solve the problem of how to bridge a person's biological identity and their digital identity. And, you know, when I start talking about that, people immediately go to fingerprint readers and scanners and biometrics. And, and what they don't really realize is that that doesn't solve the problem because just like typing words on a keyboard that are stored at Dropbox, at Facebook, at wherever, the scanners that scan your analog body, your body is analog. Everything you do is analog. It's not digital. It doesn't have any computing power. So it can't do any cryptography or math or anything that's actually secure. So anything that you scan and you send off to wherever, that's just as vulnerable. And so it doesn't make any difference. Not to mention the fact that like, you know, your, your bio data is everywhere already. You leave your fingerprints everywhere. Your DNA gets left everywhere. You know, I can get your iris and even thumbprints are taken off of photos off Facebook. So you know police are using fingerprint records to produce three d printed thumbs and open unlock phones i mean this is your body is analog it is not secure it's not a secure token it 's not designed to be and so why don't we take why don't we take that idea that secure token cryptography concept, make it an implant, put it inside of, and be and essentially make our bodies into Uh, you know, add the capability of being able to do cryptography. So that kind of like idea was like an aha, like, oh, this is, this is great. This is a great idea. Um, So I was very happy to leave at McDonald's and start planning, planning the Yuki, which is um, now almost ready for, for beta testing. Um, So our full cryptographic platform, uh, implantable Java card platform, which I, I love the, I love everything about Yuki because it solves that identity problem. That cryptograph power of cryptog- literally puts the power of cryptography in your hands. Um, it also is a platform, so it's programmable. You can future-proof it. You can put new elliptic curves in there if new curves are created. You can store encrypted data. You can process crypt- cryptography. So unlike you know an RF transponder which might have some storage where you just write some data on it and that's it, the Yuki actually processes. It's a processor. It's a little tiny computer. So you can send it unencrypted data. It will do the encryption with keys internally that you don't have on your compromised laptop or your phone that's been hacked and send you back the data. I mean, this is, this is like a fundamental shift in how internal computing and cryptography and identity and security and privacy uh, can be done, can be leveraged. And so, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it.
0: So I think everyone in in general is really really excited about the the UK. Uh, There's a massive sort of buzz around what you can do with it. Um, I guess at, at the moment, uh, you know, uh, I don't, don't want to make you give anything away or anything like that, any top secret information. But it's kind of like a massive buzz. There's still people that are not not sure like to, to where this will end and whether it's a, a platform that can consistently be developed to do new things as an in, uh, an infrastructure already, or is it something that you're gonna take and sort of develop and what do you sort of what do you what do you see it turning into what what's 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 the idea of eventually will it will it be something that doesn't become obsolete something that will will, will change as the needs of the person changes
3: yeah so this is um you know this is another great thing so the fact that like my my xcm like my low frequency transponder has been on my left hand for over a decade you know people are concerned about obsolescence but the reality is Technology might move quickly, but applications, standards, people, they move slowly. And so even at the time of getting the implant in 2005, that chip type had been around forever. And it had become a kind of de facto standard. And because it's so popular, you know, you you can buy a reader today, 11 years later, that will read it. And and I don't foresee a future where I'm not going to be able to use this chip somehow, some way with a reader. The thing about Yuki is that, you know the the obsolescence comes. The fear of obsolescence with Yuki comes around the the power of the cryptography itself. So people are always like, well, some somebody might figure out a way to get around like AES encryption, right? Which I seriously doubt, but let's suppose that's true. Somebody's figured out a way to like, crack AES encryption. Well, if you have a hardware implant that just does that, and there's no platform, then you have to take it out. But Yuki is a platform. It's software. You can load. New, improved, better encryption software onto it, and the you know that's that's I mean it's it's a future proof. I don't I don't see uh, personally a reason to ever have it uh, removed. But uh, we are planning to expand the platform. So this first this first concept is just a simple implant. You put it in there, does its job, does a good you know, great. The next iterations, what we want to work toward is actually more literally binding the biology with the cryptography and with the, with the uh, platform. So everybody, you know, basically if it's rational or not, I don't think it's rational, but everybody jumps right to the conclusion of somebody's going to cut off your arm or they're going to rip it out of you. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't, it's, it's a, it's a fundamentally different kind of crime. <laughs> you know, I don't see credit card script kiddies walking around with knives, right? I mean, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> it's a whole different concept. Um, you know, It might happen once out of seven trillion people, maybe. But, uh, you know, it's, it, so it's just kind of goofy. Um, but people are concerned about it. It's an irrational concern in my opinion, but people are concerned. So the next iteration is what we wanna work toward is actually building a thing that will essentially be tamper protection, for lack of a better word. So somebody wants to mess with you, um, to get at get at the implant, then uh, if it's if it's tampered with or removed or you know somehow uh, separated from you, then it uh, will cease to function, and so and the um, cease to function in a way that the cryptography data inside is destroyed. So it's um, you know more secure. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, I think um, I think future versions will, depending on on um, chip types and available technologies, will probably have more space for additional applications. Like you can run parallel applications on Yuki um, right now. So you can, you can literally um, put on various Java card applications and, and, uh, and run them. They, they all, they're all available to, to, the, uh, to the host. You know, they just have to authenticate properly. So if I want to run a PG, uh, right now I have PGP. I have OTP, which is the uh, authenticator concept, um, key generator. And I have a Bitcoin wallet on there. And I think I have something else on it and I don't have to mess with it. They're just, they're just there. They run as applications. When I do want to do a Bitcoin wallet transaction. I have that app up on my phone. I scan it. It does it. When I do a OTP password generator, I scan it. I don't have to mess with it. So it's it's literally like a little tiny computer and, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to have it.
0: So, um, I mean, that's, that's the first that I've definitely heard about where where the Yuki's going. So that, that sounds great. Definitely. Um, especially with what I'm doing at the moment is revolved around the vulnerability of existing RFID systems. Uh, what you're explaining is, you know, how, how everything can come together and maybe, like, make some of those security issues at least a little bit more difficult, um, if, if not totally secure, especially things like, uh, you talked about security, if, if, if a certain security comes absolute, you, you can change it so you're not, you're not confined to a certain, you know, ob- absolute sort of uh, redundant card. Uh, which you find with all RFID systems at the current time uh, which seems definitely great uh, and advantageous especially for for businesses or any other own implementation things like that. Um, You did mention about the the sort of like having the Java is it is it going to run like a sort of an application or is it going to be something that that's existing again or um, something that might might be open for for other people to develop with in the future?
3: Yeah, so it's it's actually open already. Um, we partner with a company called Fidesmo to do the application management platform that's on Yuki. So Java Card is a kind of a very limited embedded version of Java. So if you're a Java programmer, Java Card will seem very familiar to you. Um, and there's, it was a Java Card operating system was created for smart uh, cards, smart cards, and embedded devices. That are extremely small, like even less uh, capable than like an embedded like toaster, <laughs> so application or whatever. So it's um, it's definitely very straightforward uh, to to move from a Java programming language to Java Card. Uh, but you you'll be be maybe a little bit claustrophobic to start out with because it's it's very kind of low level and and um, will seem kind of limiting in some ways. But um, but the powerful aspect of it is that. You can do these very you can make these very efficient programs to leverage the cryptography hardware um, in Yuki. So, uh, and store data and do whatever else you need to do. But um, as far as like being able to develop your own applications, you can totally do that. Um, you just go to developer.fidesmo.com and sign up, and you can start developing apps and deploy it to your Yuki. And in fact, if you want to get started on it before Yuki is available, you can actually just buy a Fidesmo card. At fidesmo.com and, uh, and develop and deploy it to their cards. And then when you get a Yuki, you, you can deploy it to your Yuki.
2: Um, okay, what makes uh, your RFID biohacking products unique? Um, I find this an interesting question to come after the explanation of the Yuki. But w- what does make them unique in the, in the grinding world?
3: What makes sorry, what makes what unique, it was a little bit of cut out on my end oh, the RFID biohacking products hmm. um, well, I think the idea that you know some people are into biohacking because they want to expand sensory capabilities, some people are into biohacking because they want to um, you know get more data biodata they're in a quantified self, you know they want to collect data about their biology and what 's going on um, you know RFID touches on that that concept of, of identity and, uh, and access. So when you're talking everything from, you know, reducing your management burden in a day, and we, I kind of talk about this, um, this idea of the modern-day Tomagotchis, right? So remember the 90s where you had these, like, little key fobs? They were, like, Japanese um, Tomagotchis, and they were little pets, digital pets. They would, like, beep, and you'd have to address that beep. You'd have to fish it out of your pocket and feed them or, you know, whatever. And if you didn't, then your little Tomagotchi pet died, and it was a big terrible thing. But um, but the idea is that it would it demanded your attention and it demanded management. And we have these things today. There are wallet and keys and phone. And if you start expanding the devices that you put on and take off and manage in a day, Fitbits, other devices, other wearables, glasses, even glasses, you know, people forget their glasses and stuff. So like these, the management burden of like just being ready to walk out the door in the morning If you add devices and things, that increases, and and there is a cost-benefit analysis you do every time you put all that shit on, and you're just like, this is not worth it. And so a lot of Fitbits end up in the drawer. You know, the the novelty wears off, the utility is questionable to these people, and and they make that that a judgment to say, mm, it's not worth all this management burden, and I'll just leave it in the drawer. And so when you talk about an implant, like an RFID implant, The the risk is extremely low. It's less than getting an ear piercing. The cost is well affordable. The um, the long term benefits are like permanent, right? I mean, unless you want to take it out. So, like literally, you can get rid of one third of the standard management burden. You know, worrying about your keys with a tiny little pinch of you know. It lasts a few seconds. And then it's done and you never think about it again. If you, if you, even if you'd never used it in your life, you, it wouldn't burden or hinder you in any way. It's this, it's just there. It's like your kidneys. It does, it does a job and then it does it well and you don't really need to think about it. So the idea that, um, you know, you, you can actually upgrade your body. It's not, it's not just the idea of picking up a tool, like picking up a smartphone, picking up your wallet your keys, you pick those things up. You manage them throughout the day you put them down but um, I mean this is why again fundamentally Yuki is is a, an amazing platform because you're getting rid of this burden right if you if you want to secure life cryptographically you can do that today you can use a smart card you can use a like a USB de- device you plug in there's all kinds of security token products out there but the problem is their management and loss and theft right? So all of these things, if if you lose your keys, your consequences are, I can't get into my house right away, or I can't drive or travel. Uh, I might be late for a meeting or work or whatever. There's consequences. But if you secure your life with a security token, and then lose that token or don't have it, you you are locked out of your digital identity. And that's extreme. It could be extremely traumatic. And it can be extremely uh, detrimental to your you know, modern life, you might lose a job or whatever. So there's a real problem in, in security right now, uh, that revolves around this. So the solution is, you know, either a, you, you, you have this device that, uh, that is used to secure your life. And then you can't, you just can't lose it. Cause if you do, you're, you're screwed. Right. Um, but, or B, which is really, really unfortunate. The B solution is that, uh, service providers and whatever they'll be, they'll build back doors essentially to say oh you've lost your security token that's fine i can reset your account which makes me go oh what's the point of security token if i could just make a call to customer service and get around it right it's like the back door is not the answer so for me like the answer is spooky. it's something you can never lose unless in a Really horrific accident or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it, it's you can have a backup token if you want. You can do all this kind of other backup countermeasures. But Yuki is the idea that it, it, it smashes in the face the idea that you can't have security and convenience. And I'm saying you can do that. You can have it so convenient, in fact, that it just is just a part of your life. You don't even really think about it. But the power of the, uh, of the security aspect of, of Yuki is 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 the same as any security token. So, you know, I, I've already got several uh, two-factors uh, turned on on various websites. I really can't wait for the U2F uh, standardized two-factor to really take hold. Um, you know, so there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, I already have a U2F app on Yuki. I'm just waiting for different websites to support it. So, yeah, very exciting.
1: All right, so remember, uh, from what he just said, Yuki is set to be released by DangerousThings.com, but if you're a Java coder, start building now and pick up, uh, pick up your kit from Fidesmo.com. And with, you know, with that, my next question for you is, since Dangerous Things offers quite a variety of products, if I was a new grinder biohacker just getting started, what would you recommend?
3: Mm. yeah I think the idea that uh you know the the two staples are kind of like magnets and rf implant I mean you can look pretty much now if you're if you're into doing direct augmentations you know like the the R f implant is the very simplest thing you can do and it's literally you know you can you can talk to your doctor about it, but we have a network of professional body piercers and body modification artists um you know they're they're very familiar with needles aseptic procedure safe safety protocols, all those things. And, uh, you know, you get a kit from dangerous look at our partner map. And if there is no partner, we have a, we have a guide on how to approach a local piercing professional, um, kind of introduce them to the idea if they haven't heard about it before and, uh, kind of, uh, you know, like ease into it. You know, if you, if you just email a bunch of uh, people randomly, they're just going to say no because they they don't know what you're, you think you're crazy. think you're a crazy chip person. So, um, but uh, anyway yeah the the xNT is probably the best idea uh, for for a beginner the we, we it's a it's a full um, NFC compliant uh, ISO 1443 a uh, compatible and compliant uh, implant but uh, you know we're thinking actually maybe about looking at doing a, um, a package deal for the XCM because the XCM is a low frequency tag it's very simple it just has an ID number on it there's no storage you' nothing like that. It doesn't work with NFC or phones or anything like that, but it's, it's simplicity and low cost. You can buy an XCM and you can buy an access controller that reads it. And, uh, and together it's still less than a hundred dollars. So you can take those two things and just build a very simple access control project. You can set up a door to, to open when you, when you scan your tag, you can make a a lockbox or a fire safe or pretty much anything. I use that access controller on my motorcycle so that when I, scan my hand I don't need my key I just hop on scan and go so there's you know a ton of things you can do with it it's uh, and it's it's cheap enough that you can um, you can do it to not break the bank cool
0: so um, you just sort of discussed there like sort of sort of getting into it and um, you know having your first sort of um, trip if you like into into uh, the biohacking scene now, for, for some, for someone that's you know again sort of just getting into body mo- modification, you know maybe someone that hasn't gone as far as maybe ear piercing or something like that, um, I guess again is is very very daunting. So um, t- to speak to someone would would be great. If if they can't find that, what what sort of thing would you say would be best to sort of? Um, how would you approach it? Is, is there sort of um, any contacts that you'd recommend? Any videos to watch? Or uh, what what sort of is there any like forums? That you can go on to get some questions asked and things like that.
3: yeah and i uh, i think there's a there's probably a clear uh delineation between body modifying body modification and body augmentation um a lot of people who are our customers don't have any piercings or tattoos they don't have any kind of um, aesthetic modification um so they're, they're the, these two things overlap heavily the venn diagram is almost a complete eclipse but um, the idea that, uh, in my mind, there's there's forming a small line between these two groups, um, where body modification is about um, piercings, tattoos, tongue splitting, horn implants, silicone, 3D reliefs, but in for most most aspects are uh, aesthetic, right? They're they're there t- uh, as a form of um, artistic expression, personal expression, um, things like that. Body augmentation. In my mind, anyway, is about function. So, what can my body do, not how it looks. And so, um, you know, for saying I'm going to um, you know, add an RF transponder so I can talk to doors and electronics and computers. That's a, in my mind. It's a it's a fundamentally different um, concept than than uh, say getting an, a, a piercing, uh, an aesthetic piercing. But uh, even though the methods are very similar it 's a needle procedure you 're dealing with skin um, the the reasoning and the, uh, the the ideals behind it and the convictions behind it are are fundamentally different so if you 're into and like i say there 's a ton of overlap there 's a ton of people that are way into body modification they have tons of of aesthetic piercings and modifications tattoos and things and they also are into you know augmentation right? um, and uh that's not a that's not a, a knock on modi- modification at all uh it's just I, there it, there seems to be this delineation in the in the customer base it definitely describes me i'm not interested really in the in tattoos or piercings but uh but the methodology they use to to uh, to kind of hone their craft has been made made perfect sense to partner with body piercers to to be able to get people to have these done in safe uh methods in safe ways so um you know, if you are if you are thinking about doing something like getting an augmentation, um, then uh, get comfortable with a body piercing shop because <laughs> um, you're probably going to go visit one. But um, but yeah, like you can basically get online. Uh, you can go check out. There's a couple forums. There's we're we're just starting a forum about our our products and things. Forums uh, is Uh But there's a real popular one, biohack.me. Biohack.me. Um, but it's a bit uh, it's a bit heavy if you get in there because there's people that are like, I'm going to cut off a big thing and stick a big whatever in there. So it could be a bit shocking if you're totally new to the idea, um, but it's a fascinating jaunt down the in, down the rabbit hole you know, to see what people are into.
0: And um, once they've had that sort of introduction, I know you're saying you've got some, some uh, recommended piercings that you've partnered with. Uh, they're available at uh, dangerousthings.com as well. Um, yes. Yeah,
3: so yeah, there's a little um, dangerous are slash partners and but it's all in the in the kit as well. Um, so there's it's very clear how to find partners.
0: So so once you've found your partner, you've got everything done. How easy is it to pick up? Because obviously RFID is still quite a quite a new technology for for the for the layman, if you like. Um, so how how easy is it to go from that step of I've got this thing in my hand to now opening my front door or starting the car and things things like that? How easy is it to make this step?
3: Yeah, so the application side, in many cases, there still needs to be a bit of electronics knowledge, understanding, um, or you need to know somebody who, who can do that, uh, help you out, because you know cars aren't designed with RFID readers on them. Um, but when it comes to like the most simple thing, like a door lock, um, there are door locks. So you can just literally buy an electronic lop and replace your door lock and with, I mean, with the the most technical knowledge you need is how to take a door lock out and put a new one in. Um, so you buy this lock, you stick it in there, you program your uh, your tag ID into it, it, whatever method that is that that lock uses um, to do that, and then and then you're in and out your door with uh, with an implant. So there there are definitely some ways to uh, to leverage this uh, in a very easy to use manner. You don't need a lot of tech uh, experience, but you know if you're talking about Hacking your world, you know, kind of like making everything, you know usable with your implant You definitely need to either have electronic skill uh, or or know somebody who does who can help you out
2: uh, What we've all were uh, seeing the articles coming about um, with the Mars mission and how we're trying to I'm not going to say Terraform Mars because that's not the right term. Uh, just having people live on there and seeing
3: how it goes colonize Mars. Yeah
2: Yeah, now I think that's a really interesting interesting project to be going on Mm -hmm. But I could also see the integration of tags being used with that as well because they're going to use wearables most likely to monitor vitals and uh, Anything that they're gonna need to keep an eye on and with regards to the each person There's most likely going to be a wearable, but would you think about maybe speaking to them on doing an implant?
3: I think that you know when we're talking about bio, biometric data monitoring, um, pulse oximetry, um, you know glucose levels anything like that uh, that is a, a fundamentally different problem um, the, the reality is you know when you're talking you start diving into that kind of issue you need a few things. one you need a power source right? For, for constant monitoring, you need, you need an internal power source, something that's not uh, going to be you know, inductively powered like all of our, our current passive uh, implant devices. So the, the idea that you are needing to collect data as well is also problematic because you have to transmit that data, which requires even more power, which requires even different you know, battery requirements. Um, so, but, I mean, you just saw the Samsung Note 7 you know, burst into flames all around the world. Batteries are dangerous, you know. They're uh, particularly lithium technology, and um, lithium technology is very, um, you know, energy dense. So it's it's popular. It's, you can put a lot of power in a small amount of uh, small battery. So one of the things we've been working on for the last year is a power storage cell um, that we can actually confidently say is not going to burst into flame. It's not gonna, you know, if it, if there's a failure, it's not gonna flood your bloodstream with hydrofluoric acid, you know, things like that. So, it's uh, it's something's being worked on, but we still have a lot of work to go. And so, you know, we're we're looking at maybe doing something in the next year or so. Um, so, but the other issue with doing any kind of like maybe glucose monitoring or something, is that those kinds of things, like the body's pretty difficult place to work in. And when you're talking about working with chemicals, you know, trying to extract chemicals from the bloodstream, they analyze their 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 volumes, you know, you've got a whole different kind of ballgame there. You, know, if you're dealing with microfluidics, or if you're dealing with like some kind of sensory, like chemical assay, sensory array, you know, you're gonna have lifespan problems. You're gonna have an implant that might work for three months, or maybe six months, before it gets gummed up, like the body or Body will respond to it It's the microfluidic channels will get gum, you know clogged with cells or you know scar tissue is going to reduce its um, functionality to the point where it's useless so, um, so there's there's just a whole plethora of issues you're trying to deal with the the in vivo environment that um, that make it very very difficult so when you're talking about um, what we could what problem we could solve with our current line of products or even with yuki um those are primarily security and privacy problems, but you are on a Mars mission. So you are being videoed and it's like there is no privacy and security is um, not an issue because hopefully you are the best of the best and you're not going to open the, open the door and let all the air out. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just, I don't, I don't foresee there being problems that we could solve with Yuki uh, on that type of mission.
2: Oh, no, um, that that's uh, definitely interesting. But uh, I picked up on the point there of you going straight down the safety route um, with regards to having a battery implanted. Now, I've known you for a while, and I know that you do jump to the safety aspect, but when new people come to the scene, um, so that they've done their little bit of research, they've, they've found your tags, how can they be assured that your tag is actually safe to implant and it's not just something that's been typed onto the Internet?
3: Sure. So, you know, the thing about safety testing and law in general is that they're both uh, kind of interpreted. They're both, uh, you know, people people just assume that these are concrete, rock-solid things, right? The law is the law. It's rock-solid. Um, say it's a device is tested, it's safe. Or a device is FDA approved, it's safe. Or whatever. But it really, it really is. You know, the the this, the most terrifying thing is that a consp- you know a conspiracy theory- theorist sets up. Um, you know, the, these conspiracies, because the reality is that nobody's in control and it's all spinning out. It's a big spinning mess. And that's more terrifying than having some kind of ominous person controlling everything, right? So it's the same when it comes to, um, like, testing or anything. The FDA says, do a bunch of case studies. Um, do a bunch of, like, test it as best you can, you know, and uh, and if we like your we like your case studies, we'll, we'll prove it. So, you know, Verichip, they went through all this... Um, different different test studies and things, animal testing, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and we, you know, they've got FDA approval in 2004. Uh, So we use the same materials. And so we could file a 510k form um, that would essentially say, ours is very much similar to this, there's a couple tweaks. Can we get approval? And we probably would have gotten approval very easily. But for us, the problem is that the, uh, the the FDA approval of any of our X-series implants as a medical device by the FDA would automatically mean that piercers could not use or implant them, right? Because it's, it's essentially saying, this is a medical device. Piercers shouldn't be playing doctor, right? So we're keeping it purely in the realm of, you know, functional body jewelry. Um, and we have warnings that say this has not been evaluated by any regulation, you know, regulatory environment. Uh, or, or, you know, association or, or anything, um, because it hasn't. Um, and we want to be very clear that, that you're a big, big boy or a big girl, and you're making your own decisions and hopefully you'll do some research. Um, I, I really personally can't stand the idea uh, that kind of peripherates that is the consumer has no responsibility, right? And it's all the responsibility of everything of everyone else. It's, it's, uh, particularly when it comes to this, I mean, I named a company dangerous things almost as a joke, uh, you know, but it's now turned into a very real um, useful tool in in deflecting some liability because if you as a person go to the court and say, Hey, I bought this thing from a company called dangerous things and there was all these warnings, but then I jammed it my eye and now I'm blind. um, You know, the judge is going to go be like, Hey, what are you talking about? You, you know, the, you're, you're nuts. But if I named it like theseareverysafethings.com, trustme.com, right? It's uh, and then you know I'm like yeah, it's all good.com, and then somebody does that, the judge would be like, well, you were giving assurances, right? And you know it's just uh, so it's all, it's so messy and convoluted because of this interpretation problem. And so the best anybody can do is just um, I can point at and say, look, I've had one for 11 years, thousands of people have them. They've had no reports of any infections, no reports of any rejects, rejections, um, you know, no breakages. We've done these, these tests. You know, we did crush testing. We did testing, We did all these things. Um, so if you're happy with that as an adult person, go for it. If not, then don't. Don't buy it. So that, that's about as far as I'm going to go in, in uh, kind of making an assurance of safety.
1: <laughs> all right. My next question here is, uh, apparently Ryan and Ash have been working with you for a while now, and they've noticed that on a personal level, how passionate you are about building a community, how important it is uh, for the community for the development of biohacking, and how to maintain contact with that community as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, biohackers are an interesting group of people. Um, they uh, often take uh, the personal responsibility for their decisions and choices. And I, I really like that. And I admire it. And um, you know, when it comes to um, people that understand the philosophy of, you know, kind of transhumanism where it's it, my, my definition, very simple. It's just uh, an international movement to fundamentally change the human condition. And that for me means kind of everything. It's, it's an extension of what we've been doing for millennia, you know, picking up rocks and sticks, using tools to better ourselves and our, enhance our capabilities, but now we're actually literally able to enhance our capabilities, our our real true capabilities as human beings. So that there's a fundamental difference when you put something inside your body versus pick it up and put it down. There's that, that permanence and that brain plasticity that kicks in, it, mono, it, it changes you psychologically and it changes you as a human being. Um, I now have the ability with my Yuki implant to do cryptography, me, not my computer, not my laptop or my phone, but me. And you notice this verbal change in other people that do this. It's like, I can, I can do this. I can open up uh, this store. I can talk to this reader, not I have a card that I use with a reader or my wallet can talk to this. reader. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's fundamentally different. So, and that's pe um, other people that get that and they get excited about what that means. I just like, talking with those people and 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 i like providing new things for them to be all excited about it's uh it's uh, definitely fun i
1: think ryan has another question for you
2: um yeah what do you see for the future in in the biohacking community do you see um what road do you want it to go down is more of what i think i want to ask here well
3: i think the the interesting thing is is where it's come from and uh, and where it's going is anybody's guess. But when you t- when you think about like when I think about pu- the public's reaction in 2005 when I got a chip, um, it was very negative. There was a lot of uh, threats thrown around and a lot of like hysteria. Um, and then it kind of died down. And today there's different issues going on. Um, you know, I did a smart gun project and that raise some hackles here in the US and more threats and whatnot. But what I find very interesting is the idea that uh, there, there's the uh, the exposure effect, the, the premise that like, the more you get exposed to something, even subconsciously or something, you know, you're not aware of, the more favorable you'll view it, or at least you'd be more comfortable with it. So it's less shocking. And, um, you know, it's like when you hear a new word, uh, and then you suddenly hear it everywhere. Well, it's not because everybody's suddenly using it. It's because it's always been there. You just haven't paid attention. And so um, the same is true of the chip implant, right? So since 2005, I've been in media almost constantly. And that exposure has softened people's reaction in general. So in 2005, I would tell somebody, I got a chip. And they would be physically like, they would recoil. I'd be like, what? Um, and I'd show them and they'd have a big issue with it. Um, they'd say are you crazy what are you doing why are you doing that now today people that swear they've never heard of it before they swear up and down that's new to them i show them and they're like oh well that's weird um well good for you It's not 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 for me i wouldn't do it but good for you right so the reaction is is completely different um and it's it's noticeable general in general across the plane so the idea that you know one of the things i say on the website is you know the the socially acceptable of tomorrow is is being defined by boundaries pushed today, and and we are excited to be a part of that. And that's that's the power of biohacking today, is that you know the Googles and the Samsungs and the Apples they're not going to make implants today. They're they're making wearables. They're continue to do that. But if implants are ever going to be powerful and ever be um, mass adoptable, right, and mass adopted by by the general public for the betterment of all humanity, we have to be those boundary pushers today and we're doing that. And so by being, by continuing to do that and continuing to do it in a safe way, like nobody's died, right? Do it in a way that's responsible. We, that power of what we're doing today is going to affect humanity in the future. Even if we don't have a direct effect, even if dangerous things never makes it out of the garage. The things that we're doing in the public light today are far more important for humanity in the future. So that's what I'm excited about.
1: You, you just mentioned the smart gun project. And as a father myself, I would really want to see this happen. Can, can you tell us more about that particular project? Yeah. Um, basically, I wanted
3: to um, get a gun and uh, I didn't want it to just be open for business for anybody who picked it up. I wanted to be the one only one that could really operate it. And um, so, you know, that, that was important to me. I didn't want to bring a gun into my house and tell that was the fact. So I planned it out. I looked for a gun that I thought would be a good gun to get. And I said, okay, I, I know I can probably mod that one um, to be able to put a reader into it and make sure that it only fires if I pick it up. And uh, so I did that. And then um, Vice or Motherboard or one of those um, media outlets, they came and filmed uh, a thing and then they, they asked me about it and they, they showed it off. and. They made a, a separate post about it um, and so that went up and then like everybody lost their minds and so it just um, <laughs> yeah. It's a very straightforward hack. It's just it's no different than my car really, um, but that's just you know it, Technically, it's not very astounding but the the implications. I think people you know lose their minds about
0: Okay, thank you very much for, for talking to us and now um, sure. so that's it's so a from dangerous Um, things.com, talking to Dangerous Minds podcast today. Uh, Definitely check them out at dangerousthings.com. They've all got loads of things always going on over there, uh, from the flex to what you've heard today about the UK and things. Um, So yeah, thank you for coming along again today.
1: And we want to thank you again for listening to us explore further the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, implantable technology today. Please feel, feel free to reach out to us with questions or comments. You're, you're welcome to find us at dangerousminds.io, and perhaps one day we'll be talking to you about the work you do and the projects you're exploring or developing. Until next week, seek the spark
3: in the lab and I'm coding all night Project won't compile, it'll be alright, computer science for life and that's my direction, instead of be balls, my homies throw exceptions